Welcome to the Green Zone Podcast, the show that teaches oil and gas executives how to take command of their finances and live in the green. Your host, Jeff Green, from Green Financial Group, will be your financial guide, all while giving you a tour of the most beloved and best-kept secret spots around Houston, Texas. Now, on to the show. So we're back with our old friend, Brian Westbury, Chief Chief. Economist at First Trust Portfolios. We do this about once a year. Right. Yeah, yeah thanks for being here. It's great to be here. with you, Well, well yeah. we love you coming to Texas. Thank you. You're, you need to be in. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you're kind of a Texan. Right. You know, I think at heart. Right, yeah, yeah. So let me get right into it. I know you're an economist, but you do have, you know, some market forecasts. Right. So you have your capital profits model. Tell us what your outlook is for the rest of this year. Right. And then more importantly, into 22. What do you see? Yeah, so I know we're going to talk about some of this coming up, but there are a lot of people uh, today who are, are really nervous about all the government spending, the money printing, high gas prices, supply chain issues, and let's leave those aside for right now. But I believe partly because we've done unprecedented things, shutting down the economy, printing all this money, that that the future is a little cloudy. But the next 12 months, we have pumped the economy full of money. So my line, I don't know if it's funny or not, but it went in a flood. And I know that for some Houstonians, that's not a good memory, (laughs) but everything floats except your weight set. And, and that's what's going on with the stock market in, this, in uh, these days. That yes, profits are up, yes, the economy is expanding, but interest rates are still low. And that means the stock market, in my opinion, is still undervalued. So my forecast is that as we open up the economy, those profits will continue to grow. The Fed has no interest in raising interest rates right now. And, and as a result, I'm still bullish on the market. So back to the Fed, they, said, they had come out and said that they weren't gonna raise rates until 23. Right. Right? Do you still see that? I don't see how they can wait that long. But I, that- I don't either. And, you know, Jeff, that's a great point. I mean, the Fed has printed way too much money. We calculate 38% more money since February of 2020. By the way, that is one of the reasons that retail sales have grown so much faster than jobs. I mean, we have 4 million fewer people uh, working today, but retail sales are 20% above normal. Right. And and so that all of this Fed money printing has artificially boosted the economy. The analogy I like to use is that if you're in an accident, which kind of we were, we'll shut down the economy, pandemic, and then you get morphine, you don't realize how badly you're hurt. Right. And we're on the morphine right now. And it's hard to take people off morphine once they're on it. I'm not talking about getting hooked or anything, but it's sort of like that. Right. And and so the Fed is going to have a really hard time letting all of this go because if they were to, for example, to shrink the money supply, sell bonds instead of buy them, or raise interest rates dramatically, it could turn the market and turn the economy pretty significantly. And they're scared of that. So they're gonna go really slow. What we say about the Fed is personnel is policy. And there are three members of the Fed that have left, resigned or resigned. A couple of them got caught trading, if we know that story. Uh, But those, the ones that have left are the ones that were willing to raise rates. And so the people, those that are still there at the Fed are less willing to raise rates. They're what we call dovish. The hawks are leaving. The doves are growing in power, and that means if we have one rate hike next year in 2022, I, I, I think that's about it. Yeah. So what would be your biggest fear in 22? What would, like, what would stand in the way of the market continuing to go, right. profits, et cetera? Yeah. I, the thing that keeps me awake at night is that we lock down again. 
Yeah. You know, there's some gamma variant or something, or, you know, they start telling everybody they've got to get a fourth shot, a fifth shot, a sixth right. shot, and people revolt and they lock down because people won't do it or something like that. That's the number one thing. And so far, I, I don't think that's going to happen because, you know, if you look at New York City, you have to have a vaccine to go to a restaurant. In L.A. County, I don't know if it's still the rule, but there for a while, even if you were vaccinated, you had to wear a mask inside. And so uh, these rules are pretty heavy duty, but they stop short of locking down. So I think we learned our lesson. And that's the one thing that would change my forecast in, in the short term. Right. Otherwise, the Fed's going to stay easy. I don't expect them to surprise us all of a sudden with with a bunch of rate hikes or, or something in the dead of night that changes monetary policy. So that's it right now. That's the only thing. Yeah. So let me ask you this. I've heard our, this current administration anyway, talk about the, they were defining supply chain for us. Will you talk to us about supply chain and, right. and where we are with that and what's causing these issues right now? Yeah, this, Jeff, this is, I, I love this issue because it is economics. And we were saying it from the very beginning, March and April, May of 2020, the way I put it is you cannot turn off the U.S. economy, any economy, like a light switch. And then expect, you know, when you come back a few hours later, a few days, a few months later, and then flip it back on, everything goes back to normal. If we kind of think about, to get a tomato in a grocery store, it, it, there's billions of pieces of information, millions of people involved. Uh, you have to obviously you have the farmer, the fertilizer, the the seeds, the the, the trucks, the tractors. That you have to tra truck truck it to the store. There's truck drivers. There's people that built the trucks. There you know then it's in a store. You have to have somebody turn on the electricity, build the lights that go in the store, the aisles, the like millions. And when you shut that down, all of a sudden it's hard to get tomatoes. And, and you don't know why. And government can only handle about a dozen pieces of information. So this idea that they can fix the supply chain, it's crazy. It's insane. The, the market works because all of us, you love tomatoes. I like tomatoes. We haven't talked about that. <laughs> well, but, they're, doing, they're doing salsa, so we want salsa. And there you yeah, go. Yeah, we like tomatoes. Yeah. But, but the people that are growing the tomato, they don't know you. Right. They're doing it for you, right. and and you don't know them. And in, in return, you do you have your services that you provide. We all do something different, and that dance of of the what we call the division of labor, and really what Adam Smith called the invisible hand, is how we end up with all this great stuff in grocery stores, and how we get the ships unloaded in ports. And then and so then when the government comes and says, oh, we can unload ships and ports better than the private sector. I don't buy that. And then let me just quickly say one one thing about this. When you, if you were to lose your job today, you could technically spend all a whole year's worth of income next month with a credit card or with a bunch of credit right. cards. And that's what we did. We shut down the economy. We took out our kids' credit cards in this case and spent today. So the number of ships coming into ports is the largest number of ships ever. The, the trucking regulations haven't changed much since right. 2019. So the problem at the ports can't be fixed with a working 24 hours a day, you know, uh, letting 18-year-olds drive. I think all those things are important and good to talk about regulation, but that's not the problem with the ports. The ports is are the problem is we took out the credit card and spent way more than normal, and the ports just can't 
handle the volume. So we're buying more stuff. Is that what you're yes, saying? Yes, right. Well, right. Yeah, if you think about it, we yeah. borrowed a trillion dollars from our kids, right. and we're buying all this stuff. So what fixes the supply chain? Is that something that just works itself out? Unfortunately, that's yeah. what we have to wait for. And the more the government tries to fix it, the more they'll mess it up. Mm-hmm. That's just the history. So I have some clients from Argentina, yep. and we talk about inflation a lot. They're, okay, so they were, you know, they went they, through hyperinflation, they and they're, they're very concerned, and they're concerned about the inflation going on here. Yep. Talk, talk to us a little bit about inflation. Where you see it? Is it going to be hyperinflation? Where do you, where do you see that going? Yeah, I don't think we have hyperinflation yet. The Federal Reserve has printed 38 percent more dollars since February 2020, and do the math and say. We don't increase our output, but we have 38% more money, then that means prices, the the dollar will fall 38% in value. By the way, this is exactly what happened in Argentina. The, The value of the dollar will fall relative to goods and services. I'm not talking about versus the euro or the yen or the pound, but relative to a barrel of oil, relative to a tomato by 38% on average. So this is why real estate prices are up, gasoline prices, oil prices. There's other things going on with oil. We shut down pipelines and we made it illegal to frack on federal lands, et cetera, et cetera. But the real place that inflation is coming is from that increase in the money supply. What's interesting is Jerome Powell is saying we need to taper. We need to stop growing it. Right. Although he's going to take all the way till they should stop today. Right. But they're going to keep adding until next July. And I believe that the minute he said he wanted to taper, his job is over in January unless he's reappointed. And I think the Biden administration won't appoint him. So right now we don't have, it's not even as bad yet as it was in the 70s where we had 12, 13% inflation for probably five years kind of on average. We're not even that bad yet, but we could get it. And it all depends on how quickly the Fed is able to reverse course. And if we're addicted to the morphine, the easy money, yeah, then it's hard for them to tighten. So that's how you get this circular problem of inflation. The Fed prints too much money. Everybody likes it because all, all everything's going up. The Fed slows down the money. It causes things to go down. They ease up again. And so we have that. We've been in that kind of cycle for quite some time now. Yeah, we have. And um, what? How does that ever? Does it ever unwind itself? I and mean, what is? What happens there? Well, now, if, that would be. I'm assuming that would be. This is years down the road. Right. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And that's. I wanted to make that clear because initially, when you get the morphine, that's this past 19 months. Right. And I believe the next 12 months. I still think the market's undervalued. Profits. The stock market hasn't grown into the profits that are there. Now interest rates are artificially low and that helps us but our argument is that the 10-year treasury could go all the way to about three percent before the market would be fairly valued Mm -hmm. so it would have to go over three percent right now the fed's not going to let that happen so the only thing that will stop that the the easiest way to do it without as much pain remember paul volcker so i just talk about a little history Jimmy Carter was president, Nixon was president, and we had Arthur Burns and William McChesney Martin were the chairmen of the Fed back in the 70s. And they they made the same mistakes that we're making today, but even in a bigger way. And we ended up with stagflation, and then it took Paul Volcker to come in and jack interest rates all the way up to 20%. And that's what a lot of those of us who are old enough to remember, that's what we worry about. Well, we're not there yet. We're not even close to that. So the way you put an end to this right now is you stop growing the money supply 
at 12 or 13 percent a year which we're doing right now and take it down to three or four and then if you did that the inflation would be It'd be like a rat and a snake, you know, where the snake eats it, there's a big lump, and then it slowly but surely digests it. And that really would let the economy absorb this money. Doing it abruptly, like Paul Volcker did, is not a good thing. And, and so they ought to do it slowly, which is what Powell is asking for. What worries me is that the Biden administration won't let him even do that. Right. And that's where we start to get a problem down the road. So I do want to make that difference, though. The next 12 months, we're opening up, we're going to be adding jobs, the economy is going to be growing, the Fed is still easy, even if Powell is chairman. And, and as a result, I see a pretty you know, open, you know, open field to, to run on. Good. It's after that right. that I worry about. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. And so this whole transitory notion of inflation, that's, what, what, what are your opinion there? Yeah, it's, it's not, you know, they've changed their attitude now. They used to say transitory, it's temporary. Now they're going, well, we admit that inflation's higher than we thought it would be, but it's not permanent. Yeah. And so they're changing their words, they're moving the goalpost a little, right. which government always does. Back in the 70s, I hate to bring this up again, but uh, I, I have read every economic report of the president, you know, ever written, really, but I paid close attention to those in the 60s and 70s, and they said the same thing. They didn't use the same words, but it's 1974, and they, the inflation was higher than anyone thought. And they go, well, it's because of OPEC, um, and you hear that today right. a little bit. Oh, it's because we had a drought in the, the Midwest, and the corn prices spiked. Oh, it's because we had a, a, a hurricane in the Gulf, and the oil prices spiked. It's they always had a reason to call it temporary, right. and and I don't, and they're doing that again today. So no, this is not transitory. The only way to fix it is to slow down the growth in the money supply, and we'll just we have to wait and see how how well they do that and execute that in the future. Right. So being from Houston, I got to ask you this question: mm -hmm. Give us your energy outlook. What's, <laughs> yeah, oil. It. I would argue it's a little overvalued a little overvalued today I, I think you know 65 to 70 bucks a barrel is probably like historically relative to all commodities where it should be however because we have inflation all you know right. gold and copper and aluminum and corn and wheat and soy lumber they're all rising and that means that the in that this is inflation so that's why oil is priced where it is in the low 80s right mm -hmm. now and, I, and natural gas i believe is going to head up too so i i love the energy complex the inflation investment today i wouldn't just buy just oil or just natural gas or just gold or just silver i kind of want to own a basket but I, I I don't know the exact numbers on this Jeff but let me I think the last time I heard the, the five biggest stocks in the S&P 500 made up well over 20 percent of the index yeah. and the energy complex like a hundred stocks or 80 stocks I forget how many it is maybe it's only 60 only made up 2.2 that's uh, an imbalance yeah. and so I, I right now if, if I want to put it in uh, uh, geographical terms I like Texas <laughs> I don't like California, and and so that's where the value is. Right. And okay. so yeah, we're just, those stocks are undervalued, and that's that's one of the reasons I you know if you look at some of these massive mega cap companies, they are they're beautiful companies. They're some of the best companies, the most profitable mm -hmm. the world has ever seen, but they're fully priced. 
they're kind yeah. of priced for yeah. they're priced Price to win the Super Bowl yes. again yes. next yeah. year. You know, they're and they're and the energy stocks are priced like oh they still can't win anything. Yeah. And I, and that I love it when markets do that because that gives you an opportunity. Yeah. Cool, great. Well, you heard it here first, <laughs> Brian. Thanks, thanks for you know being here today. Really yeah, appreciate thank that. Thank you, Jeff. Yeah, and Absolutely. if you follow on Twitter, you got to follow this guy on Twitter. I will put it on the screen, but he he, he sends the best tweets out there ever. <laughs> thank thanks you. again. All right, All right, thank you, Jeff. Thank you for listening to the Green Zone podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Green Financial Group. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Securities offered through Raymond James Financial Services, Inc., member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Raymond James Financial Services Advisors, Inc. Green Financial Group is not a registered broker or dealer and is independent of Raymond James Financial Services. Jeff Green is the founder of Green Financial Group and is a registered principal of RJFS. The Green Financial Group is located at 6363 Woodway Drive, Suite 625, Houston, Texas, 77057 and can be reached at 713-244-3030. Raymond James is not affiliated with and does not endorse the opinions or services of his guests.